Today I'm airing an interview with bass player and one of the three members of La Lucha, Alejandro Arenas. Alejandro was born and raised in Colombia, and you'll hear him say in this interview that one of the things that helped him learn English was reading guitar and bass magazines, which of course were all written in English, and he read them with a dictionary. Alejandro didn't start out wanting to be a musician, but over time fell in love with first one and then another instrument. And then through an ironic happenstance, he was trying to put a band together in his early teens, and all he could find was guitar players and drummers. So although up until then he'd been playing the guitar, he decided he had to play the bass because the band needed a bass and no one else would play it. And so he got this little bass, much too small for him, but the minute he played it, you'll hear him say he fell in love. And he made a life of this love affair with his bass. And as I said a few minutes ago, he is one of the three members of the screamingly successful jazz band La Lucha. And at the end of this interview, I'm going to play a cut from one of La Lucha's CDs. This is from the CD called Standards, not Standards. And this cut is Have You Met Miss Jones, which begins with Alejandro playing. And so now to tell the entire story in his very own words is the charming and so talented Alejandro Arenas. Okay, so I'm here with Alejandro Arenas, who is, among other things, the bass player and member of La Lucha. That's right. Yes, <laughs> good, okay. I'm explaining to Alejandro that I interview people who make their living or their life with an art. Mm -hmm. And it's clear to me, anyway, that you make your living and your life with the art of music, the art of bass playing, is That's that? That's right, yeah. Performing and teaching as well, but it's all related to music. <laughs> so I only ask one question. Mm -hmm. Can you remember and can you tell me the very first time music called you, spoke to you, attracted you? I think one of the earliest memories I have, my oldest sister, who's 11 years older than I am, used to play a little bit of piano and I remember her practicing in the house a little bit. I was born raised in Colombia. I think those may have been kind of my earliest memories of hearing music around the house and, and being kind of attracted to it. Mm -hmm. we, we didn't actually have a piano. We had a Yamaha electone organ, so it had like the two keyboards, one at the top, one at the bottom, and pedals. I used to sit down and try to just make noise on the instrument. The music that I remember always being around was actually during uh, the Christmas season. It started in November. We had what we called Villancicos, which are like... Um, or Christmas carols, but it was also for whatever reason the time uh, when my when my family listened to kind of more dance music uh, like salsa mm -hmm. um, and what they called uh, tropical music or musica tropical, tropical rhythm. That was kind of the first music I started getting into. Did you find yourself drawn to an instrument or playing? You know, I didn't. Initially, so I think when I got a little bit older, uh, there was a, a, a style called, what well, they call it rock in Espanol, you know, like Spanish rock, basically. Mm -hmm. And there was a band, um, both my sisters were teenagers at this point, so that was kind of what was around at the time. So I was, I was influenced by music that was not really of my generation because of my older sisters. Right. 
Um, and I remember uh, getting really getting into this band called uh, Hombres G, uh, which like translates to like G Men, which I actually got that from like an old sci-fi film. Mm -hmm. But they were like a really fun band, and I remember that was kind of like the first kind of music that I considered my own. You know, that I started getting attracted to, and, and I remember actually buying a vinyl. And a lot of it was, you know, being rock, it was guitar driven. So I enjoyed listening to it, but I, I think I used to just enjoy singing along with most of it. I didn't really get into an instrument until I was 13. And actually we still had that organ. And the organ was just sitting at home and my parents just said, well, you know, you seem to have some musical inclinations. So we're going to put you in lessons. Wow. Yeah. So I did about three, three to six months. I was about 12. The teacher that I had, um, told my mom that I was advancing quickly as compared to other students. But, you know, I, I was at the age where I was kind of just doing whatever my parents told me right, to do, right. which is kind of weird at 12 because that you kind of do the opposite of what your parents tell you to do. But <laughs> Well, I, I, think, I think it's person-specific, but yes. also it's just interesting given what you were going to do with your life. Yeah, yeah, you know, it, you know, I think prior to that, I went to a German school. Most private schools in Colombia uh, tend to be bilingual. So you can go to a school that specializes in French or in German or English, and mine just happened to be German. We would play like recorder and sing in like choir. So like, so I guess that was my earliest instrument. I remember being one of the worst. <laughs> <laughs> my middle sister started dating a guy whose brother was flamenco guitar player. And I saw him play a couple of times and I really started digging the, the instrument. Around the same time, I bought a CD compilation of surf music <laughs> so it was like the beach boys um the ventures uh a lot of guitar driven music but in a different sense you know uh, dick dale who mm -hmm. passed away recently and and i remember getting this there was just something about the sound I felt really attracted to the guitar and i told my parents one day i said like, i want to play guitar i think it was the first time in my life that i showed any interest on my own on other on something other than video games or or toys or something like that so they say okay cool we'll get you a guitar so i remember getting a nylon string guitar with like a little book that had some charts on it and i remember going home and immediately just sat down and tried to figure out what the book was showing me how the guitar worked and all that um and I, don't, I honestly i don't remember how far i got doing that by myself but they started me on some guitar lessons and I had this guitar teacher, and he did a great thing. But the third lesson, he started teaching me Malagueña on guitar, which is not, I not wouldn't easy. call it a, be a beginner piece no, no, by no. any means. You know? no. So I started learning it and started getting, getting it pretty quickly. You know, back then, I, I, I wanted to do it so badly that it didn't seem like work to me. You know, I would finish my lesson and I would play for another three hours, wow. you know, after that. And, and, and I remember my mom used to walk by the room and just kind of be impressed by how committed I was to it. You know, I had no designs of anything at that point. I just wanted to play the music and, and whatever my teacher was showing me. And I started figuring out some other music by ear because I still had like the, the, the surf rock stuff. <laughs> so I wanted to get that sound, which obviously I couldn't get with an, with an acoustic guitar. And, you know, kind of what happened at that point is that I, I got really lazy reading music. You know, my teacher would give me the sheet music, but he would play the pieces for me, I would memorize them. So my ear developed a lot quicker than my reading skills. 
uh, which came back to bite me later. But <laughs> I'll bet. <laughs> uh, yeah, but like I said, I just wanted to play. So about six months after I was on flamenco guitar lessons, I you know I started learning some stuff by ear, and I started showing my my teacher. I said like, hey, you know, figure out this Beatles song. You know, does this sound right to you? It's like, yeah, yeah. So, oh, so you're you're into this music? You're into into rock? He's like, oh, I'm gonna bring you a, a tape next week. You know, you know something. And it was a, a Black Sabbath <laughs> tape, <laughs> and it blew my mind. I was like, whoa, what's this? You know, I was familiar with like hard rock and heavy metal, but I was never into it. But whatever was on this thing, and and being that my teacher is the one that kind of somebody you admire kind of showed it to me like I'm like okay I'm listening now so I needed to get an electric guitar at this point so I remember sitting down talking to my dad for two to three hours because for my birthday I wanted an electric guitar and he could not understand why I had just bought an acoustic guitar and why I wanted an electric guitar because to him there was no difference finally I convinced him so I got an electric guitar and I you know started playing that playing that and about a couple months later I decided to start a band I really wanted to play with people, you know, and it's a funny story because the the bass player couldn't play bass. He was only in the band because he had a drum set just sitting at home. The drummer needed a drum set. He took drum lessons, but he didn't own a drum set. (laughs) And here I was, you know, I was trying to put together a band. You know, obviously we were like 14 at this point. So, you know, we, we just really didn't sound very good at all. But. At this point is the first time I kind of had the experience of teaching the bass player <laughs> how to play bass, even though I had no idea how to play bass. I gave him my acoustic guitar and said, like, okay. I said, like, okay, this is what the bass plays. Yeah, he kind of learned it. He wasn't, you know, he wasn't very good. I mean, I mean, he started doing that, and then, you know, I, that lasted about a couple of rehearsals. You know, it was for fun. Then I you know, started getting a little bit more serious, and all I could find was drummers and guitar players. And I'm like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody wants to play bass. So I found somebody told me they had like a little, a small, short-scale bass, which is, you know, I'm, I'm tall, I'm 6'2". <laughs> I don't need to play a short-scale bass. This guy just sold it to me for really cheap, and, and I got it, and I started playing along with it. And I just kind of fell in love with it. You know, it just kind of, I was like, oh, this, this feels good. And my musical taste was all over the place because I was really into heavy metal. Um, I, I was still playing the flamenco stuff, listening to a lot of oldies, you know, like the oldies, the oldest stuff they play on the radio these days is like 1967, maybe. No, at this point it was like doo-wop stuff and stuff that I couldn't really share with my generation because they wouldn't understand it, you know. So that, those were my hidden, you know, things. But um, but I was also, heavy metal was the part that I could communicate with my generation. So like, oh, you know, I listen to cool music, you know. <laughs> around the time that the Beatles released Anthology, Beatles Anthology, which was basically like a huge box set of unreleased recordings from they were when they were teenagers and everything. It spanned their whole career, but they had demos and, and stuff like that. So it was cool because, you know, the Beatles were obviously, have always been huge, uh, but I listened to it and especially listening to them when they were 15 playing, I was like, I can do that too, you know? <laughs> So before they did their first album, they actually recorded with a guy, Tony Sheridan, in Germany. He was a, a, a British uh, singer, but they were at this point working in Hamburg. And I remember listening to some of the bass that Paul McCartney was playing. I'm like, oh, 
because they were playing some stuff like uh, what I'd say, you know, Ray Charles, and mm-hmm. they were doing covers mostly. But he had a melodic sensibility to his playing that I always liked from the very beginning. Because I always liked the bass from a melodic aspect. Like I always wanted to play the bass in a different way. Like I always wanted to do. Yeah, I wanted to use the bass in a different way. I wanted to have a recognizable style. You know, that was my early thing. Later, I discovered some things that kind of <laughs> made me realize that a lot of people had already done what I was trying to do. Um, but basically, I ended up learning a lot of bass lines by ear. I, I, all of the music I was learning at this point was just by ear. Right. But I wasn't really playing anywhere else other than with um, uh, my band, you know, with my little rehearsal every Saturday. We would have a rehearsal and we just would play like the same three songs over and over <laughs> and over and over and would drive people crazy, you know, from like two to ten, you know. And at this point I was just mostly playing rock, you know. I didn't really have any inclination as to what jazz was or how to play it or anything like and that. And are you still playing the small uh, bass? Yeah, yeah, at this point I'm still playing the small bass. And, and actually, it's funny because right around that time when I was about 17, um, I started getting a little bit of a reputation at school as being a good musician, you know. It was a private school, so it wasn't like, didn't really mean anything. <laughs> but, you know, but it, it's felt good. Good. it felt good. It felt great, yeah. Mm-hmm. There was a kid in, in my bus route who had a bass. His parents were trying to you know, get him to do something and they have, they've got him this really nice Ivanis bass and he just kind of took a couple of lessons and said like, this is not for me. And so one day he told me, he's like, hey, I'll sell you my bass. And I'm like, well, I have no money. Mm-hmm. Um, I, said, I, you know, by the end of the route, I'm like, hey, I'll, I'll make you a deal. You know, I'll, if you let me give you payments, you know, I'll, every week I'll give you, you know, I don't remember how much it was, but I'll give you a little bit, which is basically my lunch money. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, he's like, deal. So he <laughs> let me have the base, and uh, I would pay him every week. So which means I was sacrificing lunch for yeah. music. I wouldn't. I didn't tell my parents either because I know. Yeah. But it's the life of a musician. Oh. You, you were preparing for what? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I'm like, okay, that's good training. Yeah. Right. But, but uh, yeah, so I I I've got this nice bass, and you know, I had like a, a real instrument, you know, and and I I started getting more involved with with uh, music in the school itself. So the, around this point, I went to Germany for about six months to do a student exchange type of thing. It was kind of like an immersive experience, which is really when you really learn the language. Uh, I brought my guitar, because um, at least I could practice that. It was really a, a, an experience that allowed me to grow as a person a lot, because being that you're in the same school, in the same place, with the same people, up to ninth grade, which is what, around the time I was, this happened, you know, if, if you did something stupid when you were in kindergarten, you would never, they you would never, never let you forget. <laughs> you know? right, right, right. So I went through this new country, new people, completely different uh, perception of who I was. You know, I was very exotic looking there. It was a small town in Germany, you know. So um, it was great because, you know, I, well, I was isolated for a while. And so I practiced a lot. I was, this is really a moment where I would just, had a lot of time even though I had to go to school and everything but I was practicing a lot and 
I think that's how I fine-tuned a lot of, of my musicianship and um, or early musicianship and then develop a lot of self-confidence as a person too every musician always has a voice inside telling them like "Mm, you suck that was not good (laughs) enough you know you got to learn to control it because then eventually that's how you grow because knowing that you can be better that's how you continue to grow you know with music you just never stop learning but you also have to have the confidence side of you you're performing you're you're creating music and 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 all that so you've got to be able to shut those voices down and say okay here's here's what i'm doing you know this is i've been practicing for years to be able to do this and let's do it and good enough for now yes yes exactly Mm -hmm. exactly that at that moment you're this is who you are right don't pretend to be somebody else it's a balancing act isn't it it is absolutely i mean it's a it's you know everybody struggles Mm -hmm. with it. It, it, it it even the best musicians in the world have their days where they're like, ah, sorry. And not just musicians. Yeah, but exactly. It's, <laughs> right. it's a human condition. Yes, it thing. is. Yeah. Yes, right. And, um, yeah, it was, it was a very interesting thing. You know, I, I, when I went back to Colombia, it was a completely different, um, I had a very different view of the world, really. Yeah. You had a very different mindset. Too, yes, right? absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, you know, this was around... We, I moved here in 2001, so when I went back to Colombia, it was about 1999. So I had a couple, a few, three years left. I didn't know this, because my parents decided to move uh, to the okay, United wait. States. Yeah. So now you're 17, 18? Yes. Okay. Um, are you thinking about college? Are you thinking about what you're doing with your life? Yes, yes, absolutely. Well, you know, it's funny, because back then I used to say, I was a really bad student in high school. No, I wasn't a bad student. I was a mediocre student. All I wanted to do was play music. Mm-hmm. I would, the minute I would walk in the door from school, I would just go to my room and play for hours. Okay, but so far you haven't said anything about learning to read, really. No, at this point I'm still not. Right. Yet. Exactly. Right. Yeah. So okay. I'm, I'm. It's all by ear, and yeah. I, I could play with records from front to back, all yeah. by ear on right. guitar and bass and yeah. everything. It's but very valuable, but it's limited. It's limited. Yes, and I, I you know, basically later. You know, kind of what happened at this point, I started playing with a bunch of different bands in, in Colombia, started creating music, got some recording equipment, and started just creating some music, playing with different people, jamming, and uh, and eventually the, the situation in Colombia was kind of, for my parents, economically, things were just going downhill. So they just decided, okay, we've had enough. we got to get out of here. Right at the end of uh, high school, I had six months left of high school, so this was Christmas break. They said, we're going to the United States. I said, like, great. We used to come here on vacation. Oh, and then, so, and you could speak English already. Well, yeah, I mean, I had, a, we had, I had been studying um, English. Well, it's funny you say that because something that helped me learn English a lot, records and reading magazines. Oh. Because all of the guitar and bass magazines were all in, in English. In English. <laughs> so I used to read those magazines with a dictionary, uh-huh. you know? Yeah. And, uh, and, and uh, in Colombia, what they do a lot of times with movies is that sometimes they, instead of dubbing them, they have subtitles in Spanish. Right. So you kind of hear what the idea is and you start That's connecting right. words and everything. Right. So, so that was a very valuable thing. So where did you come to? When I moved here, I moved to Ocala. My sister was already was living in right. Ocala. That's right. why I ended up in Ocala. So my parents applied for the residence through her. They moved up there, um, and at this point, you know, I graduated high school. I it was time to decide what to do. So I'm dating a girl that was from Spain, and our grand plan was, oh, let's move to uh, Spain. So I, I had visited Spain for a month before going to Germany, 
and we're like, let's go there. I want to study sound engineering. That's what I wanted to do. And, you know, basically when I got here, I realized that that was not going to happen. Uh, my parents sat me down and said like, hey, so, you know, we've always supported your dreams, but we're in a new life situation we're getting. And they had saved some money in Colombia, but the peso to dollar yeah. thing, it's not good. So they basically just said, you may want to rethink what you're doing. I was here with a tourist visa. I needed to decide what to do because I wasn't going to stay here illegally. So I decided, well, let's, let me go to college. So this was July 2001. And um, I got, I applied to Santa Fe Community College in Gainesville, which is about 45 minutes from Ocala, north of Ocala. And they had a, a, they had a, a sound engineering class, like a Pro Tools class. And I really wanted to take that class. But I, I wasn't aware of how the system worked here. So it turns out I had all these prerequisites that I had to take, music theory, the, all these different things. So I said, I just went there and applied for college, got accepted. And I was actually one of the last visas, like student visas, international student visas that was given to anybody uh, because this was right after 9-11. I was very lucky. Oh. Yeah, very lucky. So I started with music theory and taking some, some guitar lessons. And I remember the guitar lessons were a group class. It wasn't individual. And I remember telling the teacher, I said, like, would you be okay if I play bass instead of guitar? It's like, yeah, yeah, no problem. And that was when I first started getting into jazz because he had, he had us play some jazz. I saw in the class listing we have jazz ensemble. I'm like, oh, that would be cool to try. So I, I asked the teacher, what, what's with this jazz ensemble? Can I join? It's like, well, you know, you gotta, gotta get some stuff together first, you know, come to, we're gonna have a rehearsal this time, come and check it out. I went there and I remember I brought a little mini disc recorder at that time and set it up and recorded the rehearsal to see what songs they were playing. And he was kind of giving me some pointers. They had a bass player, a younger bass player than I. So at this point I was 20, 21. And this was very, he, he had chops like crazy. He actually knew jazz. And like, <laughs> he's like, he was all about Jacko. I'm like, who's Jacko? And, and you know, uh, so he, he was way ahead of me, but the next semester, the teacher actually told me, it's like, I want you to know that you're going to be in jazz ensemble this semester. And I think you're aware that this guy is a better bass player than you, but you listen. Ah. Uh. You have, uh, you're, you're, you're actually following direction and you're actually doing your homework. Yeah. So. The other guy's showing off. Yes. The other guy, <laughs> he was, you know, he was all about himself and, yeah. and, you know, he had the chops and he wasn't afraid to show them. So <laughs> I'm like, okay, cool. So I started, I, when I moved there, I actually started any poster that was, say, like, bass player wanted, bass player wanted, I would just grab it. So I, I was just, like, playing with anybody that I could play with. And um, so I ended up, in well, I was in Gainesville. That's when I started really gigging professionally because I was playing, like, five nights a week with different bands, completely wow. different bands. Uh, I was playing with a reggae band. I was playing with a rock band and uh, I was playing with uh, a metal band <laughs> mm -hmm. and now the funny thing what they happened is that the teacher that the, uh, Jeff Leidenheim guitar player he had a band and one day he told me hey my regular bass player can't do a gig I want you to do the gig now this wasn't a jazz gig this was a rockabilly gig <laughs> he, he loved like Brian Setzer and all this stuff a killer guitar player but he's like, it dawned on me. At this point, I had been really getting into jazz, and, and, and I remember getting uh, Night Train by the Oscar Peterson Trio, uh, 
Mingus Aum and uh, Time Out, Dave Brubeck Quartet. Oh, I got all those three albums, and I was just like, "What is this?" You know, and <laughs> the learning the learning aspect on that was so different because it was I didn't understand how it worked. I rem- I used to learn riffs and parts. Uh-huh. That's how music worked for me. I always liked improvising, but I didn't I didn't really know that. Oh, here's a chord change. This is a scale you can play over this chord change. I just knew the instrument well enough to get by, yeah. you know, and I would know that if I was playing the wrong notes, I would he- play it hear and it. hear it. Yeah, right, right. So then next time I tried not to do it, but that was the extent of my musical knowledge. Of course, knowledge. if it's jazz, you know. Well, yeah, that's you know, the thing. And like, then you know what they say, if you make a mistake, you just play it you just over play and twice. over and exactly. over again, right. And it's not a mistake anymore. <laughs> right. but, but the funny thing is that I remember the second track of the Oscar Peterson Night Train album starts with Ray Brown, walking uh, a bass line, uh, a C-Jam blues. He just starts there. And I remember I spent two hours on, on like two bars of music. Wow. Because I realized at that point, like he's not repeating anything. How is he doing this? How, <laughs> I, 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 you know, that was the point where like, I said like, oh, I thought I, was, I thought I had an idea of what I was doing. I had no idea what was going on. So I remember just sitting down and trying to learn some of the bass lines on that. And I was really into Motown at this point, too. So James Jamerson, who was the bass player for Motown. That's how I discovered um, Oscar Peterson and Ray Brown. James Jamerson was kind of an obscure, outside the music world, he was really not well known. But he played on all of the Motown hits, you know. So he, you, you've heard him, you know. And when I discovered that... I started reading about him and they had an interview with his son who was also a bass player and anyways, he said, yeah, he was always listening to the Oscar Peterson trio with Ray Brown on bass. I'm like, who is this guy, Ray Brown? <laughs> and I went and checked it out. I was like, wow, okay. And my, my life just changed at that moment. I got that gig, the Rockabilly gig, and I said, I thought to myself, you know, I've been really digging the sound of the upright bass. And, you know, I know Rockabilly uses a lot of that. You know, he, I had like three months before I'm like, I'm going to get an upright bass, and I'm going to try to do this gig on upright bass. Wow. You know, here I am thinking, like, yeah, it's, it's a bass. It's right. the same. Yeah. It's a... <laughs> so I found a guy, again, with my, my monthly payment plans. You know, I found a guy in Gainesville. I'll give you $100 for the next, like, four or five months. He's like, okay. He trusted me. So I'm forever thankful for that. Uh, because then I got the instrument, and it literally changed my life. You know, because then at that point, I got an upright bass. I went home, I started trying to play it, and like, this is hard. Like, my hands were like, just like, because the, the technique is different than electric from upright. Um, basically, the, the, the scale length, which is the, the playable area of the strings, um, is larger than, a, than, than an electric bass. Um, you know how I was talking about the short scale bass, mm-hmm. which is right, smaller, right, that, right. that's easier on your fingers. Uh, the regular scale on a, on a bass guitar, you know, it's a little bit larger. And this thing is like huge. Um, so you actually end up using uh, the pinky and the, and the ring finger together. Ah. So the spacing is different. All the patterns that you knew on, on electric is you can put, use one finger per note ah. on the electric. On this, you're limited oh. to grouping things in three. And you rely a lot on open strings and everything. So without getting too technical, it was really hard. And I was doing it wrong. <laughs> so kind of fast forward, you know, that gig 
ended up getting canceled. <laughs> <laughs> now I had an upright bass. But a month after I got the upright bass, uh, I got a phone call. I said, like, oh, Jeff Ladenheim recommended you for a gig. This is a little trio gig, no drums, guitar sax, uh, the guitar player sings. It's a jazz gig. You know, we hear you have an upright bass. Yeah, and I was so nervous because I, I could barely play the instrument. It was a two night, it was a Friday and a Saturday. So on the Friday, just for safety, I brought my electric bass. And I told him I couldn't fit it in the car because I was, my family was coming with me. It was my first like gig where they could actually go see me and it was in a bar. You know, so I played and they liked me and they're like, hey, tomorrow, since you're coming alone, bring your app, right? I'm like, okay. <laughs> so I was, I was in it, you know, at this point. Okay, so you bring the upright bass, mm -hmm. and uh, I I got I got the gig. You know, I stayed. I did that gig for maybe three months every weekend. Wow! And uh, I I don't. I mean, I know now that it's because there was a lack of upright bass players <laughs> in Gainesville because it was a student town, and not a lot of people knew. But I was basically just learning music on the on the bandstand. They would say there would there would literally be like. Oh, we're gonna play later. There is no greater love. So they are they calling out chords, uh, or you're just watching? they had they had a few charts. They had a few charts. Well, and um, you can read now. Yes. Well, I was reading chord charts. I wasn't yeah. reading like actual music, and and so I'm basically just looking at measures with chord changes. Chord changes. At the top. I know it's it's lead so, sheets. Yeah, right? lead sheets right. exactly. So I'm not really having to read a bass line per se. Right. I'm making it up. Right. Uh, based on the chord changes. So at this point, I'm like, okay, well. They seem to like Are you me taking lessons on the upright? No, not yet. I see. Yeah, so I'm I'm playing it completely wrong. Yes, I'm, doing I'm this sure you have months. to be, right. So fast forward, I graduate Santa Fe College. I need to figure out what I'm going to do next because I still have a student visa. And the best thing that I could think of doing if I want to do was actually go to UF. But they don't have a jazz program. They have a um, classical program. I started taking lessons because I needed to learn how to play classical double bass. <laughs> and I went and did a lesson with a grad student and you basically realized I had a lot of work to do, but you know, they, they never discouraged me, as they say. And at this point, my wife, at this point, we, were, we weren't married yet. You know, and um, she had to get surgery done to remove a bone from her shoulder. She was a flute player and she couldn't play because of that. So I decided to to help her with recovery and we kind of moved to St. Peter in the summer and I was going to start taking some lessons in St. Pete to prepare to audition for the fall. And I took an ensemble class at St. Petersburg College, uh, which was led by David Pate, a saxophone player. And Mark Feynman happened to be the drummer in that class, you know, from La Lucha. <laughs> I hadn't met him prior to that, but in any case, when David Pate heard me play, he asked me like, what do you want to do? Where, where, where are you auditioning? You sound good. Like, oh, you know, I, I'm planning to go to UF. It's like, well, have you thought of USF? They actually have a jazz program. I'm like, no, I hadn't really even thought about relocating at all. And my wife at this point, she was a student at UF. So she wa wanted to try to go into the nursing program at SPC, St. Pete College. So she had been thinking about moving back anyway. So we both looked at that and said, well, let me see. So I, then I, I had been taking lessons with Mark Nunes-Schwander, and uh, I had no idea he was the teacher at USF. <laughs> he was teaching me classical lessons. And then about the third lesson, I came in and was like, hey, Mark, so I'm interested in audition for USF. He's like, can you play jazz? 
So like a little bit. <laughs> so he asked me to play, so play me something. And I said, I played Blue Monk. It's like, okay, you know, yeah. Uh, told me, okay, get this book. Prepared me during the whole summer and this, I got into USF. The audition almost killed me, but you know, <laughs> just, I was just stressed because I was, I was catching up. You yeah. know, so I was, a lot, I was going in there with a lot of kids that had high school jazz programs. They knew what jazz was about. I was like, I'm a hack. Yeah, you know, you've been catching up your whole life. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> I mean, what, I, mean exactly I know right. it's very stressful, but it must have been yeah. what you're used to in an odd way. Yeah, no. It, it, and, and honestly, I, I got to a point where I realized that I was trying to rely so much on my reading and my theoretical knowledge of what I was learning in school that I was not trusting my ear. Yeah. So finding that balance, I realized at that point, like, you know, we do, we learn all this theory and all this stuff to train our ears. Yes. Because you did it backwards. Exactly. Because <laughs> music is, well, actually, it's funny because music is an oral tradition. Yes. And that's how it started. That's you know, right. whoever, Not with reading. Not with reading. No, exactly. It was whoever made the first noise. Right. Made the first noise, right. you know. And, and they said, that sounds good. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then somebody else said, like, hmm, I wonder why that sounds good. Let's look at it in theory and yeah, see, right, you know, right, so right. we can use it. So it's like having a toolbox. I always, I always compare knowing theory as, as having like an, uh, an archive of stuff, of information. Using only your ear without any methodology is kind of like, okay, you're gathering all these papers, all these notes that you've taken, and you just throw them in a drawer with no organization whatsoever. You know they're there, but it right. takes you forever to find them. But theory, it's kind of like taking, oh, oh, I'm looking for the Dorian sound. The, right. the here it is. Is. You know, you're, you're categorizing it in a way. So, you know, that's why I always tell my students when they're concerned about theory. Theory can be very intimidating for students, for people that came from, like me, that were kind of almost self-taught to a certain extent. Not to a um, certain extent. You really were. Yeah. I mean, on bass, I yeah, had never no, taken you, bass you really lessons. Were. The cool thing at USF is that I was doing the academic training, but then I was also doing gigs around town. So I, I had a chance to work with people like Stan Hunter. Uh, who used to be an organ player? Stan was when I worked with him. He was in his you know 80s, and so he had a lot of experience. Buster Cooper, I got to play a lot with Buster, and it was, that was an institution. You know, John Lamb was mm -hmm. up there. He would show up to my gigs every so often, make me sweat. You know, <laughs> <laughs> like oh, that's John Lamb. So a lot of people, you know, a lot of musicians gave me a chance, which I'm very very thankful for because I certainly. The way I played on some of those gigs, I, you know, kind of like said, like, okay, well, this is the last time they call me. And then they call me again, you know, so. Yeah, I think you might have underestimated yourself. You might have a standard for yourself, which is higher than other people might have had for you at the time. Yeah, yeah. And I think a lot of people saw potential. They, yes, they saw I that I was, if I made a mistake, that I was aware that I made a mistake. Yes, and that you were determined. Yes. Which clearly you have always been. <laughs> yeah, and it's funny because I always, you know, it, it, I, it's kind of what you say. Like, I, I always think that I could have done, I could have tried harder. Yeah. You know, like, it, it, there's no, you know, to this day, I'm like, ah, oh, I could have practiced more. Oh, I could have done this more. Yeah, well, I pe you know. people see that and they, and it's valuable, mm. you know. So at this point, are you playing with Mark at all? Or uh, yes, yeah, so uh, we all met at USF. So we started playing together there. We we you know we were always the kind of we we were just so interested in playing music that we just would book 
sessions, you know, just to play together. All just the, the time. three of you. Just the three of us. Yeah, John was actually a tuba major uh, at some point, and but he was really into jazz and he wanted to join in. And then three of us just got along instantly. So that's the hardest thing that you're gonna that you're gonna find in music. It's actually finding a, a group of musicians that, that get along. Yes, exactly. They get along at every level. Started playing, you know, and and I would bring charts. So that 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 inspired us to do new things. To be like, oh, let's let's do, uh, let's write some music, let's write some arrangements, let's do this. And and by the same token, we started taking any gig that was offered to us. So one of the first gigs we got was actually a flamenco jazz gig. <laughs> Uh, somebody from USF called us. They were honoring uh, Richard Gonsmert from uh, the Columbia restaurant. And they wanted like a Spanish-tinged thing. And they had called Jack Wilkins, who was the director of jazz studies at USF, and said, like, hey, we need a flamenco jazz band. Or, or somebody that can kind of do something like this. You no have somebody. No guitars. You never yeah. guitars. And then, <laughs> then they, they like called me. It's like, hey, we got your number from Jack Wilkins. We, we, and they actually, they actually said, like, oh, you know, we're looking for, like, some strolling guitar for the lobby before. I'm like, don't worry. Our pianist has you covered. <laughs> <laughs> I was selling it. And, and I said, and you go. So they're like, yeah, we can do this. We can do this. I'm yeah, like, John we must have, have been happy to yeah, hear that. We had, we had a couple of months uh, to prepare. And... Uh, <laughs> This was a Friday, and they, she's like, well, you know, we would love to hear some samples. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I can get you some samples by Monday. I remember I hung up with her, and I immediately called Mark and John. I said, like, hey, guys, I got us a gig, but they want samples. So here's the deal. It doesn't have to be a full recording. Each one of us is going to arrange one or two songs that are flamenco-tinged. Sunday we can get together and record them. I had recording equipment. Right. Then I'll bring something for her. And we did. Wow. And uh, we got the gig. <laughs> <laughs> and everything from there was like that. They're like, oh, we need, you know, we need a Latin jazz. This band. is like, like I, we got you. Right. You know? This is like what you did in, co in college. Whatever they yeah. wanted. You, you know, it's a rock band. It's a yes. metal band. It's a never mind. We can play it. Exactly. Right. Exactly. The versatility was something that we were always put we, we always concentrated on. And uh, Mark came from a, a very similar background as me in, in terms of uh, the music. He, he was very into punk rock and rock and stuff like that. And he actually started on guitar too. So we started doing that. We started getting gigs around town. A lot of you know, society gigs. We used to go sit in with Buster Cooper and, and uh, do, did all this different uh, stuff. But eventually, you know, I, it was time to graduate college, you know, and, and I already had a, a gigging career, really, by the time I graduated college. Um, and I didn't want to go straight into a master's. I just, I really, my plan was just to play music, you know. So I graduated. I got married in 2006, while I, I think I had one more semester in college. So she was working, so we had mostly health uh, insurance oh, and a right. little bit of money. Right. Um, so it wasn't it wasn't a dire situation for me, and I was gigging enough, you know, mm -hmm. not not super great paying gigs, but enough to for us to have a small apartment and survive. At that point, uh, Dr. David Manson from St. Petersburg College uh, has a Brazilian band, and of course he's like, well, "I need somebody who can play Brazilian music." Like, I'm your guy. <laughs> Google how to play Brazilian music. <laughs> Uh, no, you know, I started, I, I had listened to a lot of it and, uh, uh, and, and, but I did, I did immediately when I got the gig, I immediately started what you getting always do. records, exactly, <laughs> right. educating myself. 
And um, I, I'm still playing with them these days. This was over 10 years ago. Wow. Uh, but um, we, he, he saw kind of my work ethic and they were starting a program at St. Petersburg College. It was a, called the MIRA program, Music Industry and Recording Arts. And they needed somebody that was musically trained, young, and that had uh, experience in commercial music and just performing in general. Right. So uh, David Manson told me, he's like, I know you have a background in rock and a lot of different styles. We're looking for a bass instructor if you would be interested in doing something like this. Wow. And I had, at that point, I had no interest in teaching. But I went in there, did an interview, and I really liked the philosophy of the guy that was starting the program, Mark Matthews. Um, and they liked me, so they hired me. And it's going to be 10 years this year, actually, <laughs> uh, that I've been teaching at that program. Wow. It's a great program, uh, uh, you know, but, but it, the great thing about teaching is that you learn so much. <laughs> <laughs> you being forced to explain a concept in a way that somebody else has to understand right. it, you have to put it in such a way that makes sense and, and it, it allows you to think of it in a different way. It allows you to, 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 to solidify your concept. Well, you intellectualize what you, are, what you know instinctively, mm -hmm. right? Exactly. And that, that was the hardest thing for me because I, I was so used to saying like, you know, how we always joke in, in, in jazz is like, hey, you know this tune? <laughs> like, no. Oh, you'll hear it. Yeah, you'll hear it. I love <laughs> you'll it. hear it. Right, right, right. I, I, which is funny because you do. And you the know, truth is you do. The truth is that you yes, do, yeah. But you were always a kind of seat of your pants Yes, Guy, I mean, right? yeah, I was always, you know, I, I would say, you know, I think through teaching and playing, performing, you know, it's, it's that I got the chance to really find a, a good balance between the being academically trained and right. being kind of street training. I used street training very, very loosely because it's not like... Well, hey, but it's not so much that you learned it on the street, it's that you learned it on your own. Yes, you learn it on your own. And, right. you, and, right. and so I, I realized there's really good things that come from that. You, you become very intuitive. Yes, exactly. That's a, and because you were willing to do the work of the learning of the techniques, then you could integrate that. But yes. you already had the ear. You already knew. You already knew you could play. You could hear it if you had to. Yes, right? and, and that was the thing too. It was huge for me. Was listening to yeah. the music. Mm -hmm. I was, uh, you know, uh, going back to Jeff Ladeham, the first music teacher I had in college. I asked him one day. I was really intimidated by him because he was like a. It was like this short Russian Canadian guy who just like he was always making like the darkest jokes and everything. He had no regard for anything, but he he seemed like a hard ass, but he was really he cared, yes. you know, like in a different way. It was kind of tough love, but not really he was more sarcastic than really tough on you. And um I so I was terrified of just, just having a conversation alone with him. Like of like he's gonna what is he gonna say and at this point I'm still learning English so I, like half his jokes kind of went over my head so I asked him one day I was like hey what would it take for me to become a professional musician and he told me he's like you know you just gotta be ready to play a lot of music you don't like <laughs> I'm like well the good news there's not a lot of music I don't like so I think I'm gonna be okay 
And um, but but that's the cool thing. I mean, I was I've been very fortunate. You know, I I really when I started playing jazz, I realized that's where your more, heart is. Where my heart is because yeah. there's so much that you can bring from the other styles into that. And my concept was to use the energy that you use coming from a from a rock world to apply that energy to jazz yeah. and, and, and you know sometimes grooves work in, in different ways and all that and that's what we do with La Lucha you know especially our last record we just try to say okay we're gonna write all original material it, it does it sound like a pop song okay we don't care right you know right. let's just record it let's make it what it is you know it is and what you are exactly right okay so tell me what's happening with La Lucha so with La Lucha, you know, as, as I mentioned before, <laughs> we've been all over the place yes. since the very beginning. And, um, you know, every time we do an album, it kind of represents who we are at, at the moment. moment. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So, and that's the interesting thing, I think, clearly from what you're saying, is that you just keep evolving. Yes, absolutely. And, and our last album is called Palante, which, is, which means like moving forward. Uh -huh. And La Lucha is really well known now. I mean, you get you get invited to the jazz festival. Yes. You get you know. So so, are, are there plans for La Lucha separate from you? Yeah, I mean, our <laughs> our blessing and curse is that the blessing is that we get called a lot to back other people. We're a rhythm section, right? So we get called a lot by singers, saxophone players, trombone right, right, players, right, you right, name right, it. Right. The main thing that we're trying to do is find that balance between making our own name as through our own music we're well known as yes. you mentioned but but you know a lot of it is backing other people yeah it's an interesting it's an interesting dichotomy because mm -hmm. on the one hand you're making a living you're yes. getting well known you have reputations but it's a different thing for you to have a reputation as La Lucha themselves, mm -hmm. right? As opposed to all of what you can add to whatever everybody else is doing. Exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So okay. from, from a young age, I just wanted to do that. And, 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 you know, I had never, I think in the early years, you kind of get this idea, especially when, when rock, you kind of have dreams of stardom. You know, mm -hmm. you know, like, oh my God, you know, all this stuff. And then you realize, okay, I realize those people that are up there are the, 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 0.2% of who actually of the, who's out there playing and there's there's a lot of different uh, areas in music where you can make a career yes. you know it's the most common question that I get I don't get it as often anymore uh, but I used to get this question a lot which is like oh what's your real job and so this is what I do it's like isn't your mother worried like <laughs> no she's not uh, and I understand. I've always understood why people ask that question. And, and that was, it, it goes back to that. My parents never once discouraged me, uh, you know, yes, right. and they always just said, okay, you're obviously dedicated and passionate about this. I'm not going to tell you not to do this because this is what you love and it's you should be doing what you love. Okay? And sometimes you're going to have to settle for, for not exactly what you wanted. But I think that's what helped me too. I did, I did not have a very specific vision. I just wanted to play music. So I am very lucky I get to do with my two best friends, you know, Mark and John, uh, which makes a huge difference, you know, uh, uh, because it's people that I can talk to musically and personally. We've known each other for, you know, over 10 years now. You can still put us in a car for three hours. We're never going to run out of stuff to mm -hmm. talk about. And, and that's priceless, you know, and we have 
that chemistry, I think, translates to when we're on stage. There's no question know. about it. And in addition to that, you support each other. Yes. So it's not just that you support each other musically, which you so clearly do, but you support each other in every way. Yeah. Right. We trust each other. You trust each other. Yeah, yeah. and that—that's a, you know, uh, to quote uh, Elvin Jones, they had asked him how the John Coltrane Quartet, why they had the sound they had, and and seemingly they could, well, how they could play so well together. And uh, you know, he said, "You got to be willing to die with the motherfucker." Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And it's true. It's it, it's like it's such a deep statement. It's like wow. Yeah, I mean, we're we're here for each other, and that's the other thing that music. That's why I never liked playing music by myself because I always enjoyed the company, and I think that's why I fit well on, on the bass in the end because it's an instrument that's kind of hard to play by yourself. It supports the other. It instrument. supports it the other. Support. Right. 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 Yeah. So so I think uh, that was. That's why I ended up gravitating towards that instrument, and 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 you know again everything everything I did, I think another door opened and another person that called me for a gig, and I just kind of went for it bl- blindly, you yes. know. I, I just did it and did it, and maybe some of it was just luck, you know, that some doors started opening and people were just willing to give me a chance, like I mentioned with musicians. Um, I don't think it and, was uh, luck. Yeah, no, I, I don't believe in luck. No, I mean, personally. This, this is not luck. Okay, so I have one final question. Mm-hmm. You actually got started 13, 14, 15, right? Mm-hmm. So from then on, you have spent your life essentially pursuing music in one way or another. Yes. So would you say anything about what that's like, what it feels like or means to you? It's everything. It really is. I mean, it's. You know, there are days that you feel, oh, should I just get a nine to five job or some sort? But you know, as quick as that thought comes in there, it's it's gone. You yeah. know, so it's still happening. So I'm embracing <laughs> it as long as I can. You know, <laughs> and that is a perfect place to stop. There you go. <laughs> thank you so much, oh, Alejandro. Thank you, Lynn.